Hello and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with my co-host, Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby? Man, I am feeling good. Why? My favorite season of the year is fastly approaching. Fall? Are you an autumn guy? I am an autumn guy, yes. Because right. I know you were just down on the kids playing in the rain, and I didn't... <laughs> they I didn't, didn't have know. an umbrella, Joe. You got to tell the yeah, story right. Yeah, that's living, my friend. Yeah. That's, that's how I rolled my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> well, together on this show, we listen to the legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs that they sampled from. Toe, what are we listening to today? We are listening to the song Centuries by Fallout Boy. This is a group that I've been waiting to talk about for a while, so I am pretty excited. I'm pretty pumped. Well, hopefully I've been waiting for hundreds of years. So are you, are you ready to head back to last century? <laughs> yeah, let's hop in the DeLorean and find out what track was sampled to make this hit. Rewind! I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, he is looking out the window at somebody coming in. It is all right. There's that song. Yeah. You're like, what's I know we just looked at each other. No, that's the song, people. That's the song. That's the song. <laughs> so can you please tell everyone what we're listening to? We are listening to Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega. This song has a crazy history, and it'll be fun to get into all of that. Let's do it now. Well, first, we have to go all the way back to 1982 when Suzanne Vega first wrote the song. She was performing in small venues in Greenwich Village and was also a frequent patron of a diner called Tom's Restaurant that is on the bottom floor of Columbia University's Armstrong Hall. Suzanne is not the only one to frequent the establishment. President Barack Obama did as well when he was a student at Columbia, as did Senator John McCain when he would visit his daughter, Megan. Well, and let's not forget George and Jerry and Elaine. Oh, you mean the cats from this show. That is some hellified plucking right there. That's what you think it is. <laughs> hellified plucking. Well, this is the Seinfeld theme song, and the real exterior of Tom's Restaurant is also the fictional exterior of the coffee shop Monk's Cafe from the Seinfeld show. So that theme song is an epic track. Now, by the way, did you know that that is not a bass, but mm. actually a keyboard? I know, it's crazy, right? That's nuts. I, I think maybe that's where Charlie Puth got the idea for the attention bass line that we talked about in our last episode. Might be right. Want to know right. something else that's awesome about the Seinfeld theme song? Lay it on me, dude. So the guy who wrote it, Jonathan Wolf, also wrote the theme for another all-time great entry into American TV archives. This one featured your favorite and mine, Zach Morris. You talking about Say by the Bell? Yeah. Well, oh my God. Right? I was going to ask you, you know, if you liked Lark Kelly Voorhees. or Jesse Lark or Voorhees. Lisa or Lark Voorhees all the way. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah. you had me from hello. Okay. <laughs> there was you, you can't go wrong with any of those. Nope. Well, so yeah, Wolf sort of wrote the theme on this. Actually, he wrote the theme for Saved by the Bell, The College Years. Oh. Mm-hmm, which which mostly just served to introduce the world to the acting talent of legendary Browns defensive tackle, Bob Golick. Okay. 
Okay, so so you are officially Browns crazy right now. Yes, but sir. Back to Tom's Diner. All right. Okay, Suzanne Vega had a good friend that had commented to her how he often felt like he was watching life through a pane of glass rather than experiencing it. Yeah, so she attempted to write the song from that perspective and so took to observing events around her in that way. And so we get lines like this. I open up the paper, there's a story of an actor who had died while he was drinking. It was no one I had heard of. And I'm turning to the horoscope and looking for the funnies when I'm feeling someone watching me. And so I raise my head. There's so apparently this was written about the death of William Holden. And facts like this allowed folks to kind of piece together the actual date that Vega wrote the song. The consensus seems to be November 18th, 1981. It's pretty cool that the writing of the song can be traced to a specific place and time just through the lyrics. Maybe that's why this song has had such a lasting legacy. Including the christening of Suzanne Vega as the mother of a certain invention. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So she was Frank Zappa's mom, sister? What's no, wait, going wait, on? Wait, hold up, hold up. I didn't say she was with the mothers of invention. Oh. Okay, I said she was referred to as the mother of an invention. Oh, okay, okay. So you must be referring to her moniker as the mother of the MP3. That is correct. So Tom's Diner was a great song to test the compression algorithm for MP3s and their sonic integrity. So one of the developers, and this name I know I'm going to butcher, but I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. You got this. <laughs> I got faith in <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate the confidence. So Carl Heinz Brandenburg. I like Look at well that. Well done. Mr. Brandenburg. All that craft work listening <laughs> is doing you good. <laughs> right? Carl Heinz Brandenburg, he knew that it would be hard to compress a warm a cappella voice and still have it sound good. So they used Tom's Diners. They were figuring out how to maintain the warmth and the sonic integrity of the track and sort of what has earned Vega the Mom of MP3's title. You know, honestly, Tove, I'm not sure what the big deal is. I've been called the mother See? lots of times. See, there, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So I don't think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah I, obviously not. So there's another cool connection with this song. Have you heard of the Fast Folk Musical Magazine? Is that the one where it was like, sort of like a singer-songwriter outlet for artists when they were releasing their first recordings? They sort of combined a magazine with a compilation album release. That's the one. So Tom Steiner first appeared in the January 1984 issue. Well, Suzanne Vega was in good company because Fast Folk also provided us with an introduction to a few other Grammy winners like Lyle Lovett and Tracy Chapman. As well as Julie Gold and Sean Colvin. You know, I'm not familiar with Julie Gold. What did, what did she win a Grammy for? Okay. She was, she was more of the winner from a far variety. Uh, she wrote a certain song in 1985 that you might have heard before. From a I can see a bunch of 13-year-old girls waving their hands right now. <laughs> I never knew you were a 13-year-old girl, Tob, because you're doing it right now, too. I am. I am. It's my inner child. <laughs> She's almost got a, uh, oh, I can't think of her name, the lead singer from Cranberries. She's got that same sort of tonality yeah. to her voice. Yeah, yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this song. Yeah, heard that one once or twice. Nice call, playing the original Nancy Griffith version from 1987. I know the incomparable Bette Midler won a Grammy for this in 1990, but this version has a pretty cool twang to it. Yeah, it also reminds me of another great storytelling song with a twang, and that's Bobby Gentry's Ode to Billy Joel. 
Oh, great song. Crazy story. Let's take a listen to that. Mama hollered at the back door. Y'all remember to wipe your feet. I love the little natural rasp she has in her voice. You know what I'm saying? She said I got some mm-hmm. news this morning from Choctaw Ridge. What'd you hear? What happened? Today, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Man. Uh-oh. Was he, was he just diving? Was he... <laughs> Was there water? Go for a swim. <laughs> listen, listen. For everyone that hasn't heard Ode to Billy Joel, let me tell you. I know, you know, when we first talked about this, yeah. right, when we talked about the song, you were like, ah, I'm not familiar with the song, not familiar with the title. And then you heard it like, oh, yeah, I have right. heard it it's before. Like, right. But, you know, if you listen to the whole song, I mean, it is one of those like, oh, my God, this story is crazy. There's so many layers. You're wondering, like, what's going on? And, right. And it's got all that hype behind it because she doesn't really ever say what's going on. So it's left her interpretation. I love, love that mystery, man. I love that mystery. Yep. You got to love it. So. So Tom Steiner did not show up in, on a studio album until 1987 on Suzanne Vega's Solitude Standing. Well, this album also had Vega's highest charting hit, Luca, which reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Let's have a listen. My name is Luca. I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. Upstairs, huh? You think I would know you? She lives upstairs. Yeah, this is actually actually the song is a. Uh, it's about a, a basically she was watching kids play outside and Luca. She sort of made up the story, right? Oh, but okay. She made up the story about one of the kids being abused. And oh so that's no. Luca. Okay. Yeah, so that's the that's the gist of it essentially. Well, that's a, all right. That's a serious serious story. Okay, so Solitude Standing features Sean Colvin singing back up and reached actually number eleven on the Billboard 200. Luca earned three Grammy nominations, including Song of the Year. And three years later, in 1990, the British production duo DNA would remix Tom's Diner and make it a smash hit. They built the remix on a sample of Soul to Soul's 1989 song, Keep On Moving. Soul to Soul. Right? Remember oh, that? Man, let's, I mean, listen, yeah. listen. Somebody break out. Somebody call Kenny Rogers. He's about to go in the danger zone <laughs> right now. Let's keep on moving. Let's keep on moving. Keep on moving. Don't stop. Get my little two-step on now, right yeah. now. Did you say Kenny Rogers and not Kenny Loggins, by the way? I did. We got to go. We gotta I was going to let again. that go. No, we're not no, going to let it no, go. No, we're just going to we're just going to keep on moving. That's what we're doing. I meant Kenny Loggins, damn it. <laughs> keep on moving. Mm. Okay, so that that was a hit in its own right, right? Reaching number one on the Billboard R&B charts and number eleven on the Hot 100. And it became part of another hit when it was paired with Vega's vocals from Tom Steiner. So let's hear that 1990 remix from DNA. Trying not to notice that she's hitching up her skirt and while she's straightening her stockings, her hair has gotten wet. I feel like I'm in the club back again in 93. Mm-hmm. Jamming. So this remix would reach number five on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1990 and also hit the top 10 on both the alternative and hot R&B hip-hop charts. So you know what else is cool about this remix is that apparently DNA used the sample without permission. Wow. Come on, dude. 
<laughs> Not cool. How many times do we have to tell you people to clear your samples? All right. Well, that's true. But in this case, it worked out all right. DNA took the outro of the original version, that vocal line that everyone knows. It's funny because it's just that little snippet in the outro. Right. right. She was just sort of probably improv but it's what got sampled all those times. So let's take a listen to that outro. <laughs> Which you can see why. It's so cool. But that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. That little snippet was just an ad-lib at the end of a track, and DNA was the first to spin it into a featured vocal line. Well, thankfully, Vega liked the remix, and her record company, A&M, decided to purchase it and release the song instead of suing the duo, which is probably the best op- outcome for everybody. What's that song, Make Love, Not War? <laughs> I love right. that. Look at that. So I still say clear your samples, though, man. I yeah. still say <laughs> Sorry, the, or, or Make Love, Not War, one of the two. Both. Let's, let's do all of that. <laughs> So this is not the last time that Tom's Diner would be remixed into a hit. Can you guess who else charted with the remake? Um, I don't know, man. Uh, hit me, baby, one more time. Hit. <laughs> okay, well done. <laughs> so let's hear the 2015 version of Tom's Diner by Giorgio Moroder featuring Britney Spears. Britney. I love this version, by the way. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee and he feels it only halfway and before Hey, Brit. I see you. I can't help but to think that that Suzanne heard this song on the charts and uh, and thought to herself, you know, oops, you know, I did it again. I, I can't I can't help but to think that she did exactly that. All right, you're done here. <laughs> your, your puns have become my, toxic, my I'm friend. I'm puntastic, brother. You know that. <laughs> puntastic. Well, there's a ton more we could talk about regarding the career of Suzanne Vega, but there's no denying the fallout from this smash hit. See, I, I, I see what you did there. You talking about me with my puns? I'm trying. So are Just you ready? To keep up. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job, okay? <laughs> you ready to talk some Fallout Boy or what? I am, sir. So can you do the honors and give us a little more background on the band? My pleasure. So Fallout Boy formed in 2001 in a suburb outside of Chicago. The band is comprised of guitarist Patrick Stump and Joe Troman, bassist Pete Wentz, and drummer Andy Hurley. The band members all have roots in the punk scene and were brought together by Wentz and Troman as a side project. Well, Wentz and Troman were part of other groups, including a metalcore band called Arma Angelus, before forming Fall Out Boy. So let's hear We Are the Pale Horse from their 2001 album Where Sleeplessness is Rest from Nightmares. Look at that title. You know, they kept that going for their first few albums of Fall Out Boy, too. Just these ridiculously long, you know, names of songs. But anyway, this is We Are the Pale Horse. We are the pale horse. You love this, don't you? <laughs> this is definitely different from the Fallout Boy sound. Oh you think? <laughs> yeah. Metalcore, man. Wow. Well, Wentz was unhappy with the focus of the whole punk scene, right? So from his perspective, it was transitioning from political activism to more of an emphasis on moshing and breakdowns. And so maybe that's why he kind of went this direction. 
from all the things that I've read, it really sounds like he's probably one of those people that would just sit around and say, hey, you know, remember when it was all about the music? You mean get off my lawn guy? (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember back in the day? Things were better back in the day. Yeah, well, all that is funny because I hear the same thing from hip-hop purists from time to time that complain about popcorn lyrics or mumble rap. One thing that we know for sure is that change is constant, and apparently Peter wasn't happy with it. Well, as you know, people cope with change in several ways. His method for coping was, well, let's form a side project with Troman and Patrick Stump, who was actually drumming for several other bands. Stump would become the lead singer for Fall Out Boy. And can I just say this? This guy can sing. Man, can't he, though? So when I first, you know, knowing that they come from the punk scene, yeah. okay. You assume a certain thing, right? I, I, totally, totally. And it's just like uh, his voice to me, not, not the same league, yeah. but... His voice surprised me, and it makes me as happy as the lead singer from from Boston. Oh, you know, like okay. like that. Yeah. Like I, I I feel happy. Like oh my god, yeah. please do that, do that, because he can really jam. Well, He's got I, a very distinctive voice. It's totally recognizable. For sure. I didn't realize exactly how good he was until I saw him perform with Daryl Hall on Live at Daryl's House. Have you seen, are you familiar with that whole show? Okay, I love that show. I love that show. That show is phenomenal. But if you, you know who's real. From that show. You do. You know, who, you know who's right. real. Who's got chops, who who's can got bring chops, it. Who's got chops, who can bring it. So, yeah, I was super happy when he showed up on that. So let's take a listen to Patrick and Daryl performing another one of my favorite tracks, Jimmy Ruffin's What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. You know what, Tobe? Let's do a Hall & Oates episode oh, at some thanks. point, please. You had me from Hello. Let's Sarah go. Sarah Smile. Let's do that. All right. Well, this is What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. So let's get back to Stump's work with Fall Out Boy. So they went through several options before settling on the band name, which happens to be a fictional character from the animated sitcom The Simpsons. Of all things. Of all things. Of all things. I bet you a lot of things have come from The Simpsons. Well, Wins had a clear vision that the band could be something big, and so he was right. And so they started to promote (laughs) themselves heavily on social media. So the band had booked a two-week tour, and unfortunately, most of those shows were canceled. Mm. But the band remained vigilant, and Wentz stated that the attitude was this, hey, let's just get on whatever show we can and pay us in pizza. Hmm. And you talk about tough times. See, that's how you know that music, especially the starting of a band, is kind of looked at as being a young person's game. You know, I'm, I'm way too old to be eating pizza seven days a week. I can't do that. You can't know what? It. I hear you, buddy. It goes right to my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, it's not good. So the band pursued TMI, a record. TMI, my friend. <laughs> the, the band pursued a record deal with several labels while shopping their first three-song demo. And after eh, lukewarm interest, they decided to go back into the studio to work on some new material. So John Janik from the label called Fueled by Ramen. I love that name. Fueled is that by better Ramen. for you than pizza? By the way, it's cheaper. Yeah, it is definitely cheaper. Maybe it doesn't go to my thighs. That one goes to my, okay, my ankles a little okay. bit. Can okay. we, Eric, can we please cut that part out? I'm not trying to listen to him talk about his thighs anymore. Can we cut that out? So John Janik from the label called Fueled by Ramen heard an early version of their song online and spoke with the band. This interest led to the band being offered an incubator type of deal from Island Records, which gave the band money to sign with Fueled by Ramen for a one-off debut. So the purpose of the deal was to support the band on a small indie label and give the band some time to get a hit before they moved to the Island label. 
This seems similar to the minors in baseball, the D-League, and the NBA. And frankly, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think more labels should be doing this. I think it's smart. It's very, very smart. It's smart, right? Develop the talent. I totally agree. Totally agree. So the band recorded seven more songs in nine days. And to say that times were hard is an understatement. Apparently, their tour vehicle was a tiny V6 that only had three cylinders working. How do you? Wow. I'm I'm not even sure how that runs, period. I'm not either. I'm not either. A lot of duct tape, probably. (laughs) So they had to turn on the hot air to make sure the engine got enough air to drive at the speed limit. Wow. During the summer, that had to be brutal. Uh, Yeah, you know what? I can totally relate to that. I've got my own war stories. Man, you should have seen my first car, but I know you got some of your own. Dude. Listen, I have so many of them. It's hard to pick just one. I used to drive this Buick. All right, before it was cool. (laughs) Before it was cool. Before it was cool. I had no problem starting up when I was by myself. Of course. But let me be on a date. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It always would stall out on me. It made no sense. That sounds like you you had a dysfunctional relationship there, my friend. Tell me about it. I mean, it... I mean, I had everybody else had nice names for the cars, right? Like, you know, Dominator, oh. Mach 1. I refuse to call mine anything more than Heffa. Heffa. <laughs> That's it. That could have been the reason, buddy. Heffa had feelings, <laughs> and uh, I don't think she appreciated that. You're probably right. Probably right. We certainly had our disagreements. And like many other bands, so did Fall Out Boy, especially in regards to lyrics. Now, they resolved them with Wentz being in charge of the lyrics. They finally decided on, hey, Wentz, you're in charge of the lyrics, and Stump would be handling the melodies. Fall Out Boy's debut, Take This to Your Grave, was released in May of 2003. By this time, the band had gained a lot of fans and some momentum, so much that they were actually banned from several venues due to their riot-like conditions at the end of shows. So let's take a listen to one of the singles from that album. This is Grand Theft Autumn, Where Is Your Boy? With songs like called Grand Theft Autumn, it's no wonder they have violence at the shows. (laughs) Right? Right. I don't know where's your boy, but I know that this song actually reached number 84 on the U.S. Billboard Pop 100 charts and drew a lot of digital downloads. They joined the Warp Tour and definitely knew how to bring down the house. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) Well, they actually released an EP in 2004 with an acoustic version of some of their songs. The EP was called My Heart Will Always Be the B-Side to My Tongue. What does that mean? I don't know where this is going. What does that mean? So with accolades and success comes better accommodations and great pressure. As Biggie said, more money, more problems. So during the second album's writing process, the band wasn't all that satisfied with the first 10 songs, so they scrapped them and wrote another eight to take their place. Now, I haven't been tested musically like that in forever, and I often wonder if I could produce that much quality music in, in such a short period of time. That's moving, dude. That's moving. Well, you can certainly feel the pressure, and what made it worse is that Pete Wentz had an emotional breakdown that led to a suicide attempt. Mm. But it looks like he was able to rebound because Fallout Boy's next album, From Under the Cork Tree, debuted in May of 2005 and peaked at number nine. So their first single was Sugar, We're Going Down, and this is probably the first time the band showed up on my radar. So Sugar, We're Going Down earned the band an MTV Music Award. I really dig this tune. Let's take a listen to that. I never knew what they were saying. No, didn't matter. 
<laughs> really? That's how I did it. When I was in my car, I didn't know the words. Right. Switch that part. Come on. I'm not. Yeah, and I've read various interpretations of whatever. Mondo Green well, all over the place right Their there. second <laughs> single, Dance Dance, reached number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. Let's hear that one. Man, this dude's got chops. Yeah. So from Under the Cork Tree earned the band a Grammy nomination for Best New Artist and sold over 2.7 million albums. Their next album was called Infinity on High. And what's interesting here is a song choice for their singles. Now, you know, like I do, that every song isn't a single. And sometimes even the order of the release of songs can determine an artist's amount of success. And that's why the second single from this album, a song called This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race, really stands out. Let's give it a listen. This would be a fun song to perform live. It would be a fun one. They write good hooks, my friend. They do, man. They do. They, you know what it was? I, I think I give them a lot of props for deciding on who was going to take, you know, kind of like... Working through all that working band through all nonsense. Of it. Yeah, yeah, like, when you do lyrics, yeah. dude, you got melodies, yeah. and let's roll with that. Well, this song in particular is an answer to critics that say the band was writing specifically for pop audiences. Pete Wentz has a quote about the song choice saying, look, there may be other songs on the record that would be bigger radio hits, but this one... This one had the right message. You know, and I, I love that, man. The importance of substance. So the musicality of songs is uber important, especially nowadays. I find that so many people are focused on the beat that the lyrics mm -hmm. just get forgotten, right? Mm -hmm. It's good to see that there's still groups out there that believe in lyrical content. You know, that's always fascinating to me, too, how, like, people listen to music differently, mm -hmm. how some people don't even pay attention to lyrics at all. right. I don't know. It's just, I can't separate the two. So it's, but how many people do you talk to? They're like, I listen to this great song and all I, I just love the beat. Well, what's the song about? I have no idea. You right. Know? But it's cool. Like everybody engages differently. Well, you know, with me, it starts off with the beat. Right? Sure. It starts off with the beat. It's got to grab you, right? Right. But, you know, eventually the lyrics got to come into play. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the, one of the things that made that happen for me was having my son. Mm -hmm. Right, and then actually being you in the have car, to pay attention. you gotta pay attention to everything. You know, it's, it's like it's just it's just a different different type thing. So, yep. so Infinity on High it peaked at number one on the Billboard 200, and Fall Out Boy saw their largest number of sales during their opening week with 260 thousand copies sold in a week. In one week, that's good. So the band released their next album. Fole Adu. I hope I'm saying that right. Fole Adu. Fole Adu. Fole Adu. Okay, there you go. You got to get your inner French on. As, I, apparently. So in 2008, and despite the economic downturn, they still managed to sell 150,000 copies their first week on the way to going platinum. So the single, I Don't Care, reached number 21 on the Billboard 100. Let's give that a listen. It's easy to say you don't care when you sell. Right. You know, you quarter platinum, million in the dude. first Hush. week. Hush, be quiet. <laughs> Sit down somewhere. You went platinum. <laughs> I 
So there's a lot of history that we could discuss in regards to Fall Out Boy, right? The, the band's hiatus, the members' individual musical pursuits, their eventual collaboration after years and success. But we really don't have time all on this pod, so let's just get to our featured song, Centuries. Well, Centuries was the lead single from Fall Out Boy's sixth studio album, American Beauty, American Psycho, which was released one year after their previous album, Save Rock and Roll. So if you're like me, you're thinking, wow, only one year separating the releases. That seems like a lot of music to do while promoting your last album. Well, it turns out that they wrote and recorded most of their music for American Beauty, American Psycho, while on tour with Paramore. Well, Centuries debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and was certified four times platinum. Besides being, you know, that energetic, fist-pumping track, the interpolation of Tom's Diner sets up the chorus so well. So let's listen to how that builds up. Let's do it. I love the way they did this. Mm -hmm. Here here comes the drop. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't get that inside joke, you need to listen more. Period. Centuries is certainly one of the biggest hits to feature Tom's Diner. So what do you say that we listen to a few other tracks that that also did in our bonus material? Sounds good. Where are we starting from? So let's start with Nikki D's single, Daddy's Little Girl. So the strength of this single helped Nikki D's album reach 54 on the Billboard charts. And it was also the first time, I want to say, that I actually heard this sample ever. Oh, really? Yeah, this was it. Like okay. I was like, what is that? That's cool. And it was crazy. So I'm on campus at Ohio State. I love the Nikki D song. Yeah. So I was looking for it, and I somehow stumbled upon Tom's Diner, right? Okay. They had a deluxe single available. It had like eight versions. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not listening to Tom's Diner that many times. That's crazy. Well, she did, because uh, so many people have covered it. She actually went and took them all and put them together as a compilation, yeah, which yeah, is pretty I saw cool. It. I was like, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. That's crazy. So, well, let's take a listen to that. Nikki D's Daddy's Little Girl. What daddy don't know will hurt her. Okay. Yeah, Maya, no. <laughs> just, just. Daddy wants to know everything. <laughs> Maybe not everything. <laughs> oh God. Well, all right. I see your song, and I'm gonna raise you a little Aaliyah with her single "Hot Like Fire," Ooh. the Timberland groove mix. Let's do it. Yeah, it's never a bad time to listen to Aaliyah. So That's right. let's, let's do it. It's a great video. You don't remember it, do you? I don't. I love this video. It had Aaliyah in it. That's all you need. That's all you need. need. Just trying to process Timberland doing doing (laughs) the, you know, it's little. Yeah, he had to be involved. Great track, but let's show a different flavor and see how Gorilla Zoe and Sean Kingston interpolated Tom's Diner on the 2011 track On the Corner. Kingston had some hits. Mm. That part right there, though, also reminds me of uh, Ain't Nothing Gonna Break My Stride. Uh, 
got to keep on moving. It's like sort of a similar. Very, yeah. yeah, I wonder if that was intentional or if it just showed up. By the way, check out the dude who sings that song because hmm. does not match what you have in your head. I can almost guarantee that. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Will do. Will do. All right, so let's jump to the Drake and Kevin Cossum song. You get paper. I get paper. You get paper. Somehow, I just don't think they're talking about the dispatch. No. The plane no. dealer. Or, or, or no. the blade or, Nothing. or anything. Washington Post. Re- Reader's Digest. Different paper. Yeah, different paper. Let's do it. You know what's so crazy? Same sample. Yep. Totally different feels just with yeah, everything, just with the, everything else. Yep. Yeah. So finally, let's listen to one more recent hit. This is David Guetta featuring Ava Max with the 2018 track, Let It Be Me. Let it be me And I'll show you love the way it's supposed to be Okay, totally different vibe. We're totally not happy different. again. Yeah, skipping. Do you know looks. what, though? I, I don't know about Ava Max. What's wrong? She, uh, she seems sweet, but something tells me she's just a little bit psycho. Okay. Just saying. Okay. <laughs> all right, my friend. I think we are ready. To, on that note, we're going to wrap right. up another episode. So what all did we cover today? We listened to the chart-topping hit by Suzanne Vega, Tom's Diner, and heard about the rise of Fall Out Boy and oh, their hit like song, what you, did you like that? That's good. I'll be here all day. All day. Well, Okay. No, what do we I have actually, I won't be after this. <laughs> All right, so what do we have lined up for our next episode when we come back? Well, unfortunately, we are nearing the end of summer. Oh, say it ain't so. Okay, and in these parts, that means soon there ain't going to be no sunshine. Oh, I know, I know. I know, I know, I know. I know. Enough. I know, <laughs> I know what you did last summer. What? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Don't worry. Your secret is safe with me. As always, thank you for listening. We will catch you next time on Riffs on Riffs. Keep listening. Huzzah. Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers, Joan Andrews and Michael D'Aloya. Producer, Julie Fink. Audio engineer, Eric Coltnow. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.